Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I am just getting back from two weeks-ish of vacations. I was in Napa Valley, uh, lots of wine drinking, I'll tell you that. Took me a couple days to to recover from that trip. And then uh, my boyfriend and I went to Austin City Limits this past weekend, uh, music festival. So uh, just kind of getting back into the, the swing of things and you know, it's interesting. When I went to Napa, it was the first time in my adult life that I went on a vacation and didn't bring my laptop with me. And it's such a great reminder that we all need to take a break from this kind of hustle culture and hustle mentality. And I'm finding, finally seeing that a lot of people are disputing that or you know, <laughs> revolting against the idea that we have to hustle all the time. You know, it's you know, when you find the right place to be in, you don't need to hustle to be there. And it took me a it's taken me a long time, and I'm still a recovering recovering hustler and a recovering workaholic for sure. Um, but I realize the more fun that I have, the more successful I am. And so I hope to pass that along to you as well. And uh, before we start this episode, I do want to shout out two of my clients who are starting their brand new jobs this week. Amy and Lisa, I'm so excited for you. Uh, you just deserve the most, the best, the most incredible things. And just seeing how much support both of you have from your new companies already before you even started uh, with your LinkedIn post, uh, it's been just so incredible. And I know you're both in the in the right place and exactly where you need to be. And I this is just the beginning, right? I can't wait to see where you both grow from here. So congratulations. Have an amazing first week. I can't wait to see the impact you're going to have on the companies that you've joined. Um, so before, right before we dive into today's episode, I have two... I have a couple announcements, but I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet to two. Uh, so the first one is that uh, the doors to the Overnight Trainer L&D Accelerator are open. I only have a few spots left. So just to remind you all that this is for anyone who has got a new position in L&D. So I would say in the last six months is a kind of a good area. Or if you just want that extra support, even if you're in your current role, you've been in there a little bit longer. But this is for people who are already in the L&D space. And this can be anything, right? This is, you can be a program manager in charge of onboarding. You can be an instructional designer. You can be a head of L&D, right? There's there's no cap on what type of position you can have. So looking at the bigger spectrum of L&D, 
Uh, so this is for, for you if you're looking to have you know a community, to have a little bit more nurturing, to get that coaching from me um, as well as our guest coaches. So this is a six-month program for anyone who's new, again, new to their L&D role, who wants that support, who wants to just launch off, right? So the really cool thing is that I've been working one-on-one with people who have just gotten into their L&D career and seeing how in just four months, six months, eight months, they're already speaking in front of the CEO, getting promoted, right? All of these incredible things that are happening just from us working together. So I'm taking all of that and kind of putting it here into a a group coaching program, keeping it really small, but we focus on three main pillars. I know I've talked about this before, so I'll keep it quick. Uh, The first is that that transferable skill set. How do we actually now apply it? The second part is really looking at How do we create a unique framework that's unique to you and to the organization? And this is really where you start to stand out, right? So we kind of look at the three pillars as the first pillar is, all right, making sure I own my job, I do it well, I know what I'm doing, I feel comfortable and confident in it. That second part is like, okay, great. I've, I've started to create these meaningful, applications of my skill set, What? how do I put this all together, right? And it's creating that unique framework. And that's when I see people start to, again, get in front of the CEO, get promoted, ask to take on more, more incredible projects. So it's really creating that unique framework that's unique to you as well as to your organization. So it's around that strategy piece. And a lot of people struggle with how do I create learning strategy? That's what we'll do together. But again, it's very, very unique. Are you, it, no one strategy fits every organization and every person. So we're going to find out and work through what's unique for you and your particular organization. And lastly, that growth strategy, right? How do we start to look forward towards the future and make sure that you're preparing yourself now, right? And doing all the things that you need to do now to set yourself up for that growth, right? We don't want to wait until it comes time for you to say, wow, I really want a promotion, over the last six months, I really should have been preparing for it, right? You want to make sure that you're preparing for it ahead of time. So when the time comes, right? That's what I realized with a lot of my clients. When the time comes, right? They've already been prepared for it and doing the job and and training themselves on how to do it. So it's a much quote unquote easier sell. Um, so the doors to that program is open. If you use the code podcast, uh, you get 20% off the entire program. So if you go to theovernighttrainer.com slash work dash with dash me, uh, scroll down to the LD Accelerator program and all the information's there. So the second announcement real quick, and then we will get started on this episode, is that I will be retiring the niche worksheet. So I have a niche guide, Nailing Your Niche, uh, on my website. You can If you don't have it already, once you go to any page of my website, you can put in your email, get access to it immediately. That will be retired at the end of this month. So this month is October, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, um, October of 2021. It will be retired. Uh, it will be replaced by a new freebie for you all, but that will be retired and uh, we'll be turning into something pretty cool in the future. So I'll tell you more about that as that comes along, but that will be retired. So if you have not downloaded it, now is the time to do so. And with that, um, I will also be retiring my one-on-one coaching for career coaching. So I have four spot actually had five but I filled one yesterday four spots left and I'm filling those through the month of October 
and that is it. So <laughs> if you're interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching for career coaching, uh, now is the time to get me because as of the end of this month, I will also no longer be offering that. Um, okay, that's a lot of information. You all know where to find me if you have any questions. Just holler, let me know. Happy to explain more. Let's get into today's episode. I'm so excited. So today's guest knows all about transitioning from higher ed into the world of L&D. And not only getting into it, but becoming a leader in the field. So I am joined by the fabulous Heidi Kirby, uh, who is an L&D leader and also host of The Block, Building, Leading, and Organizational Culture podcast. So she has an incredible background, incredible resume, and in addition to spending the last eight years designing, developing, and implementing learning initiatives and programs, Heidi has helped thousands of emerging L&D professionals through her volunteer work. It's been absolutely incredible. And I, I'm so, I say this every week, I'm, I know I'm so excited, but I really am, I have to find a new word for that, but I really am excited about this episode uh, for two reasons. And the first is that Heidi is just an incredible human. She has a heart of gold, a servant's heart, and what she's done for the L&D community is so incredibly inspiring. And the second is that she does an incredible job of walking us through her journey um, and what greatness can come from taking a chance on yourself. So Heidi is an inspiration uh, to me, to so many people in our L&D community, and I can't wait for you, if you're not familiar with her, which I'm sure so many of you already are, I can't wait for you to be inspired by her as well. Heidi, welcome to the Overnight Hello. Trainer podcast. I'm so excited you're here. You had to flip the script that was on your show a few weeks ago. So I'm excited to put you in the hot seat today. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So you, you have such an incredible journey and there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Like the time we have allotted will, will never ever be enough. I think, especially with the two of us, uh, but you have such an incredible journey an inspiring career journey. You've been a writer, an educator, instructional designer, now a learning solutions leader. So I'd love for you to tell us about your journey, your career journey, and how you got to where you are today. Yes. Um, so you mentioned something that I don't really start with, and that's like my freelance writing and editing <laughs> experience. Um, I did my undergrad in English. And so once I was done with that, I thought I was going to be like a copywriter or, you know, get into a marketing firm. And unfortunately, when I graduated college, it was during a recession. And so I would be walking into interviews and see other people who I knew from my college who were in like the communications program. And they would always get the jobs over the English major and like the marketing firms and such. Right. So I ended up going back to school because somewhere, some person, and I wish I could identify this person and thank them, um, but somewhere along the way, somebody was like, hey, do you know if you get your master's, you can teach college? And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. I always really liked all my college professors. They seemed pretty hip and everything. So that's what I ended up doing as I went back and got my master's in English and then started teaching college English. And, you know, I... My goal was kind of to be a full-time professor, tenured professor, but this was right around the time where tenure was really kind of falling off and there weren't a lot of positions open and I'm geographically bound to Cleveland. And so there's also not a lot of opportunity in this area with colleges. And so, you know, I kept getting beat out for these full-time positions by, uh, by, I always say hipster guys who did some sort of cool fellowship in the mountains of Colorado. Right. And so, uh, 
I was like, this isn't really working. I was doing, I was adjuncting at like five different schools and running all over Northeast Ohio. And I had decided to go back to school for an education master's because wanting to be a full-time professor, I was like, I don't have the foundational knowledge in this field to be the best professor. So when I went back to school, that's when I found out that instructional design was a thing. Before that, I didn't even know that you could have a career in that. And I was like, wait, so I don't have to stand up in front of the classroom, but I still get to do all the fun stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, sign me up for sure. And so I started a PhD program in instructional design and technology. And a couple of semesters in, I was like, wait, I'm already doing all of this. And so I took that summer to really kind of fill in the knowledge gaps, listen to all the podcasts, read all the books, and just kind of really focus on making that career switch. And I landed my first instructional design role at NASA and have kind of just moved around to different organizations in Northeast Ohio and then decided, you know what? I don't want to spend every day in PowerPoint. I think I want to lead teams of other instructional designers. And so this past January, I landed a role as a learning solutions manager, and that's where I'm at now. Amazing. I, I just, I love that. And it's what it really shows too, is that like the twists and turns that life takes us in. And I was talking about this with someone else recently too. I can't remember who of just like the power of sometimes just saying yes. And being sure. curious and like, oh, I never heard of that. What is that? Oh, I could be, I can do that if I have this and just kind of like, just yeah. connecting the dots and saying, hmm, what? A lot of people are like, why, why should, why? I'm like, well, why not? You know what? Right. So I really love, love that part of your journey of like, Hey, I thought I was going to do this, but then this showed up. And then I thought I was going to do this, but this showed up. Um, and I think just that how powerful that is to be able to, A, you know, props to you for recognizing that, right? A lot of people mm get that sensation. They're like, Oh no, but I can't, you know, like this, 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 and this. And I I'm on that yes. path, even though like the universe is saying like, but wait here, look over here. Yes. You know, there's this, yes. there's this, this path for you. You're like, no, 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 that's not my path. <laughs> like this is my path. And yes. so the, the openness around that I think is really awesome and inspiring. For sure. I always tell people that professionally I'll try anything once, but like personally, not so much. Like I just, I expend all that innovation and passion for change in my professional life. And personally, eh, I'm not as big of a fan of change. <laughs> it's balance, right? It's yeah, balance. totally. <laughs> I love that. So you just talked, touched on something, which is really important, which is you just recently this year became a new people leader, which is so exciting. Um, and it's a new phase, you know, for you and your career and a, a new challenge. So thinking about your experience, so all the great things that you just talked to us about, what were the things that prepared you the most for this new chapter for you as an L and D people leader? And then I would say on the flip side, what weren't you prepared for? Sure. So, you know, I, I was kind of thinking about just my career trajectory in general and, you know, what is the difference between someone who ends up in leadership and someone who just perpetually does the job better and better and better for their whole career, which neither is wrong or right. Right. Um, and what is that, what is that moment where you were like, holy cow, I want to be a leader. And for me, that moment happened my senior year of high school, oddly enough. Um, some of the seniors were allowed to direct one act plays. And so I was one of like three students chosen to direct a one act play. 
And everybody always picked like two or three cast members to like make it really manageable because they'd never directed something before. And here I am over here, but I, and I'm like, but I have a lot of friends in theater and I have a lot, there's a lot of young people in theater who haven't had the opportunity to be in something yet. So here I am taking on like an eight person cast, which is crazy in and of itself. And just, you know, I distinctly remember being at a friend's house. We were doing a practice at a friend's house and everybody was just like off topic and not paying attention and doing whatever. And I was like, oh, I really need to take charge of this if we're going to be successful. And to my surprise, not only did like the people who weren't really close friends with me listen to me, but my close friends listened to me when I was like, all right, guys, we need to do this, you know, and just that feeling on the performance night, right? Like I still remember exactly what I was wearing, but that feeling of watching everyone do what we had all worked on together and just get all the applause was just so so wonderful. And being able to not be the center of attention in that was also kind of nice, right? Um, as much as I do like being the center of attention, I also like to sit on the sidelines every once in a while as well. And so like, I think that's really the moment where I decided to be a leader, whether it was just subconsciously at the time. But one of the biggest things that I've learned in now being an official people leader is that I'm just officially a manager now. I was a people leader long before I got the title of manager, right? At one of the organizations I worked at, I had a really large team of instructional designers and our boss was very busy. This was a really large, large organization. And she was always working with other people and she was always kind of, you know, finding the next projects and things. And just, she didn't have a lot of time for like those just daily questions or daily complications that come up, but I did, and I welcomed them. And I always was willing to like lend an ear to people who were not really feeling heard. And so, you know, I was like the go-to person that everybody would come to with problems and issues and, you know, all right, let's solve this problem together. And so it really just allowed me to kind of reflect on, on that. And then, you know, this past October of 2020, I started mentoring with teaching a path to L&D with Sarah Stevick to help educators who are looking to get into instructional design. And like, that was another place where I'm talking to people and giving them career advice. And, you know, and so it really made me realize, like, I've been doing this a lot longer than I gave myself credit for. It's just now I have all of the official hiring and performance review and day-to-day -day administrative tasks of being a manager, right? I love that. You know, so many people think like, oh, well, I haven't done the job before. And I deal with this all the time, right? As far as looking at career coach, I haven't done the job. You the same, right? And in, in, in the mentoring work that you do, I haven't done it. And it's like, no, actually you have. Like, did, did was it in an, a, your official capacity? Was it in your job description? Maybe sure. not. But I think just that how poignant that was that you said of, you know, yes, I now have the official title, but I've been doing this people leadership for a very long time. Uh, and I think it's so important. And I love how you were able to kind of have that introspection of tracing it back to, to being in high school and having that play. And it made me think too, like in fifth grade, I was the student council president. Like what, yes. what am I the president of? Like, what, what was I doing? Like, 
of what like of my, longer of my, recess right yeah yeah like of like yeah what what did I promise people at uh in fifth grade you know at age at age right. 10 but you know you think about I never have never really thought about it in terms of like when did I know I wanted to lead people uh and as you said that I was like when did I know and I was like oh my god when I was in fifth grade uh and wanted to be a student council president and, and, be, and became that so I just I think it's so interesting to be able to to really look back, I mean, I wouldn't put that on my resume now, but you know, to really you know, think back and, and, and be able to have that introspection and, and, and think about, you know, when, when was that pivotal moment for me and, and why was that? And what did I get out of that? And how does that now shape, shape my career? So I, I really love that you were able to take all these bits and pieces of things that you've done, including your work, you know, with the TPLD. Like, I think that is huge. And that was something I was going to bring up maybe a little bit later, but, you know, and looking at the work that you've done there, the work that you've done through your podcast, right? Like having all of that, you know, how do you, uh, you kind of touched on it too, but how has that shaped you as a leader? Like if you hadn't done those things, like what, what would be different? So one of my, my big gripes about some of the leaders that I've encountered in just in general, not necessarily in L and D is you've run into these leaders And even people who aren't leaders who are like, I've been doing this for 20 years and damn it, I know what I'm doing and you can't tell me what to do. And you really look at it and you look at their body of work and you look at, you know, what they're doing and they set something and forgot about it 15 years ago. There's no innovation. They have no clue what's going on in the field. They haven't done the actual work that their individual contributors are, are doing in so long that they've become almost completely removed from it. And that to me was when I decided to be a leader, the thing that I am like, that's probably the thing I'm most afraid of. Like, I don't want to become that stale leader. So like the podcast has helped me talk to so many other people in the field who are doing cool things, who are innovating, who have expertise outside my area of expertise. So not only have I learned from them, but now I have those people to go to if I ever need, you know, certain subject matter expertise on different things. And also with TPLD, it's been a while since I've looked for an individual contributor instructional designer job. It's been a little while. And so helping other people and like keeping fresh on those job descriptions and understanding what the field is kind of shifting and morphing into is super helpful. I think that's a really great perspective to have. I mean, it's, it's such an, in a great way, such an evolution is happening in, in how we define what is learning and development and what is instructional design and, and, and all the things that, that fall in, inside there. So I think, you know, for, it's kind of like what keeps us relevant, what keeps us hip, you know, yeah. like as, as we get older in this. And I, and I feel strongly about that too. You know, there's still parts of me that want to do the, do the work to stay relevant. And I love your point that you make that sometimes it's not necessarily even about doing the work. It's about being surrounded by the work. So that's a really yes. wonderful like reminder for me too. Um, so I appreciate the gift that you just, just gave me of that, of, you know, thinking about, and I've been thinking a lot about that too, as far as like my own development. And I was getting hard on myself for a while of not developing myself. And I realized, wait, I do this podcast and I talk to these amazing people where every yes. week I'm learning something new. Like, what am I, what do you mean? I'm not developing myself. So I love, you know, it, I think it's so great that the mentorship and your podcast and all of those things that you've done selflessly, right? How much it actually ends up 
impacting you totally. and helping you out too. So there's, there's value, there's value in it. And it's again, not anything you probably ever expected. It was the sure. passion that led you there. And now realizing, wow, look at the, the gained expertise that I got from that. So I think that's, that's so awesome. And something you touched on too, was like that individual contributor, that life kind of lifelong individual contributor, possibly for some people, but what would you say is a misconception or maybe a common misconception that people have about going from being this L and D individual contributor to being an L and D people manager? So I think one of the biggest misconceptions for me is this getting caught up on numbers on a job description, right? And I do the exact same thing where I'm like, yeah, but I don't have 10 years of experience in this. And I don't have eight years of experience in this. And I don't have five years of experience in this because number one, I'm not that old. (laughs) And number two, you know, it's just, we, whoever's idea it was to assign these truly meaningless numbers, because I'm sure that there's, I'm sure there's a study somewhere where they've compared the numbers on these job descriptions to the experience of the people who actually get hired into the positions. And I think it, it scares a lot of people off. And I think, like you said, they think, well, I don't have two years of calendar experience of someone reporting to me. And then, you know, they don't apply for those jobs. And it's especially disparaging for women and minorities, right? Because we're much less likely statistically to take those chances when our, you know, our resume doesn't perfectly line up with, with what we're seeing. Right. And so I think that not allowing yourself to get hung up on that, on those, those metrics, because it really is there, like, this is our wish list, but we don't necessarily have to meet that. And so draw from your experience leading people on projects, draw from your experience leading projects, right? I, th- I think that's awesome. And it, it, I, I love the term wish list. And you and I were talking, talking about that offline too. Right. And I, I think about it in the sense of like holiday time, whatever holiday you said, you know, as a kid, it's like, you have this, this wish list, right. Or you, go, you sit on Santa's lap and I want all of these things, but like the reality is you go into it knowing, okay, I'm not going to, at some point you get old enough to realize I'm not going to get everything on my wish list, you know, but I, you know, these, these two things would meet, would mean the most to me. And it's, it's the same thing with job descriptions, right? It's their wish list. They're allowed to have that. Maybe this magical unicorn lives somewhere in this universe of ours. Um, But I think the right employer will, of course, have their wish list and also know most likely I'm not going to find someone with all, with all of these traits, right? That this is more of a development plan. I always tell my clients to like, look at the job description as a development plan. Just because you haven't done it doesn't mean you can't do it, right? If there's something that's on there and you're like, wow, I really don't want to do it. I really can't do this and don't like have a desire to do it. Then it's not the right role for you, right? But looking at it as of, okay, I meet some of the things on their wish list, right? I think if you look at at it and you're like, I don't know any of this. I've never done any of this. never heard of any of this. Okay, maybe it's not the right role for you either. But if you're looking at it and saying, wow, you know, there's some things on their wish list that I do meet and I could be a wonderful present for them and a wonderful gift for them. Yeah. And also know that 
know, I can work hard to be able to give them these gifts in the future. And so I think it's, it's changing that mindset of like qualifications and requirements to like, this is a wish list and you are the gift and what gifts can you, can you bring to them? And it's just like changing that mindset of, you know, they don't, they know they're not going to get everything on their wish list. And if they think they are, you sure as hell don't want to work there. Like they are, they are unrealistic human beings who work there. And that is not a place where you want to, want to be. So I love that. Like that's what you brought up as a, as a misconception. Cause I think it, it really is. And, and you touched on you know, women and pe- you know, people of color, minorities in general. And, you know, it's, there is such a, you know, there's lots of studies done on it. I don't know what the most, re- you know, most recent number is, but, if, and I see it in my group coaching, you know, I see, I see it. And I have, I have primarily women who are in that group and, and the, the pause that people take and yeah. you know, push, pushing through that can, can be a challenge. So I, I really love that you brought it up and you also brought up and you talked about this a little bit earlier too, as far as like your educational journey. And I think that's really, really interesting. And I've talked to a lot of people on this show who've had such different educational backgrounds. And, and I love to kind of hear and talk about this topic because you, my insanely talented friend, like you mentioned, are getting your freaking PhD, like doctor. Oh, hello. Thinking. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> so what, what led you really like to that decision? Like, are you happy you did? I, I want to talk more about like what led you there, how you're feeling about it. Talk to us. People are wondering. I think yeah. people always ask me this question. So initially my, my initial reason for enrolling in the program was dumb. I'll just say it flat out. It was dumb. It was personally, I had always wanted to get my PhD because school was something I was really good at. And it was just a matter of finding out what field it was going to be in. And I really didn't want it to be in English literature, right? Like I had gone far enough with that. Like, come on, if I have to read one more Shakespeare or Milton play, I'm going to lose it. So I knew it wasn't going to be that. So when instructional design hit, um, and I kind of became interested in that, I also had my son during that time because I never do things easy. Like I always have like five things going on at one time. Right. (laughs) And so the best way to do it. (laughs) Yes. And I, I, so I enrolled in the program when my son was six months old thinking if I don't do this now, by the time he's a little bit older, we're going to be too busy. And that's true. Like he's five now and we are busy every night with stuff for him and his school and everything else. So I'm kind of glad that I, I decided to do that when I did. But very quickly, like once I started working in the field and once I decided that I didn't want to spend my whole life in PowerPoint and wanted to be a leader, I was like, okay, now I can leverage this PhD experience a lot differently. Now it's going to give me the credentials and the foundational knowledge to be able to really be an effective leader in this space. And it's going to, again, talking about like females, you know, it's going to give me that extra boost as someone who's trying to be a leader and a female to give me that extra credential boost that I feel is kind of important. And so I don't recommend it to everybody. That's the thing. I really don't recommend grad school or a PhD program to everybody, especially if you already have a master's in something somewhat related, it's really not worth it. Like you really have to think about what your career goals are and what you want to do, because still to this day, a lot of people assume that I want to do research for the rest of my life. I don't even do research now in my PhD program. I'm like one of the only people in my cohort that has never published any research 
and that's just for me it's more of a practical thing and it's more of i need to know everything there is to know foundationally about this field so i can be a successful leader in it you know what's so interesting about what you started off by saying like the like what you say the reason was dumb is that, dumb. Is that, what, you, is that yeah. what you said <laughs> i i have to challenge you on that because and and this is shocking for me because i I believe most degrees are dumb. <laughs> People who listen know how I feel about, about education, our education system in general, and all the things, right? We could talk probably about that for an entire episode. But the way, what, reason why I feel that this, you starting off wasn't a, a dumb thing. And of course, it, you know, everyone has their own opinion is that you actually wanted it. Like you were, like it was... You, even you didn't even know necessarily what it was going to be like you wanted it. And I, I find that so many people when they go back to school or get a certification, it's because they think they should, or sure. someone else told sure. them you're like, nah, man, I just, I want my PhD. Like I'm gonna figure out what it's going to be in, but like, I want this. And so I actually think I, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised I'm, I'm saying this out loud, but <laughs> I, I, I really think it's a wonderful decision. Cause like you, you actually wanted it. No one told you, you should, you weren't doing it because like from a place of fear or a place of feeling less than it was like, yo, I actually really want this. And my other traditional education necessarily isn't, isn't in this. And this is a great opportunity to bridge that something that I really want two things that I really want, right? This, a PhD, because yeah. it's a big why for me and I want to do that. And also this new field that I'm entering in, that I'm exploring, that I'm excited about and being able to put those two together. So uh, again, I'm shocked at myself for saying this, but I, I think it's actually a great decision that you that you made to, sure. to get your PhD in this. I think it's really awesome you know, to, to get that, to, to have that strong why and desire and have, and doing it just for you, like for, sure. for really no other true. I mean, you're going to get a lot out of it, of course, in the end, but like that true purpose of it's the right time for me, I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm doing it for me. Yeah. Well, I think part of the reason that I say that it was a dumb decision is that I mean, it was a dumb decision financially <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> because well, I yeah. am self-funding the whole thing. So yeah. I think that that impacts a lot of my like wow, like you didn't even have a goal in mind when you started this, Heidi, what were you thinking investing that much money into this without even I, like a clear, I love that. <laughs> I love that. you know, it's so interesting. I, 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 I talked about this a lot, but I dropped out of college when I was 20. I didn't go back to school until I was 26, 27. I was already a director of learning at that time. I know it's an, a unique experience that I have, but, um, I got my degree in organizational leadership and learning and my bachelor's degree. And Sometimes I toy with like going back to school and, and more for myself for fun, like to challenge myself in something. And I usually, I usually talk myself out of it when I look at the cost. I'm like, but, but this, you know, I looked, I looked at a doctorate program the other day, not that I even have my master's. So like, you know, there's, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, do I, can I just jump right into this? But, um, it was like $200,000 and I was like, I don't know. I mean, just, you know, okay, we'll put, the, we'll consider, maybe consider this in the future. And it's just, you know, I think there, I just thought of, I was just on a podcast that hasn't been released yet, but talking about like just the, the cost of school and the cost of this education, and all of that. So, you know, but I think for someone like you, right, who had a strong purpose behind it and is in that field, you know, like it's, I will put this out into the universe and that, that money will come, come back to you, yes. you know, in, in many ways, ways, shapes, shapes and forms. So I think it's, it's so totally. interesting. And I'm, 
it was nice for me to be kind of swayed to the to the education side for a minute. So uh, I think you're the first person. I've talked to a lot of people about that. But I think you're the first person who actually uh, <laughs> got a got a positive reaction. <laughs> yeah, you just have that. to be willing to give up your summer home for a student loan payment. That's all. Yeah, that's it. No big deal. Just give up your hopes, right. dreams, your life, <laughs> your family, yeah. and then that's it. <laughs> and your kids. Just- your kids are on their own for college. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mom went to college. So you're yeah, not sorry. <laughs> I love that. So I want to, I want to switch back now that you, okay, you're on the hiring manager side, you're on the people manager side, and you've done a lot of work in mentoring up and coming and aspiring instructional designers and L and D folks in general. So thinking about it from a hiring manager perspective and a people leader, what, what do you really look for when adding people to your team? That's a really good question. So I was actually just weighing in on a post about this on LinkedIn, where it was talking about how there's kind of this, like this, um, kumbaya touchy feely mentality that like, if you get somebody who's gung-ho enough, or they have a good attitude that that can replace their, their deficit and skills. And that's just, it's just not realistic. Right. So you're, I'm kind of looking for that balance between, I need the person to have a foundational understanding of the field, right. They don't necessarily have to have been working in it for, you know, 15 years, but like, you know, you need someone to be able to talk the talk, right. And to be able to walk the walk. And so you need someone who's going to have some sort of problem solving skills to fill in those gaps. And there's just kind of, there's so many things, right. I'm kind of talking in circles here, but like the technical skills are super important. And then the soft skills are super important and the attitude. And that's really, I think sometimes we focus on one over the other. And I think that there's kind of a yin and yang thing that you need to have. Ooh, I love that. I, I, like yin and yang. I think it's, I think it's perfect. And I, and I agree with you, right. That, you know, yes, attitude and effort. I call it a heart and hustle. Those yes. things are so important, right? Like, and that's, I think that that can make or break a candidate in a sense too, right? Like if you have two candidates and one has enthusiasm and heart and hustle and you're willing to do it, of course, that's going to be your person. But I I also agree wholeheartedly that you can't, that's, it's not, it's unfair to hire someone into these types of roles uh, that require a baseline set of skills. doesn't mean they have to have all on the wish list, right? It's our job as people leaders to help develop those. But, you know, I think it's, I, I do think it's unfair advice to give to people like just have a great attitude and like, it's going to get you the job. And as positive as I am, you know, I think, that's why I do a lot of work with people. And I know you do too on what are these transferable skills that you have, right? So it's like, yes, you may not speak the same language, but once we translate, you actually do do all those things that they're talking about. So how do you, how do you sell, sell that part, part of it? But I do wholeheartedly agree that it's unfair for just to hire based on personality or, you know, drive. I think that's so important and it's a, a huge factor but yeah, there's that other half where it's like, you're going to set them up for failure and yourself up for failure as a leader for sure. know, of having to, you know, essentially start, start from scratch too. So I think it's a really valid point that you bring up about that yin and that, that yang. And I think a lot of people struggle with it. Right. Of like, Oh, yeah. I really like, like this person. I just went through the hiring process and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I really love all these people. Like they're all so great. They all, 
all they all have such dedication and such heart yes. and just such a, a drive. And also there are people, and I went with someone who has some more baseline skills. They have everything on my wish list. No, my wish list was right. a unicorn pipe dream, right? But and, and I've said that in my in my, sure. my job description. I was yeah. like, I know y'all don't have all of this stuff. So and don't, you know, and send me your regular resume. Don't tailor it to me because I can I have an eye for transferable skills. But I did hire someone who had some, some of these baseline skills for some of these things and not all of them. Sure. Um, but that that was that deciding factor compared to everyone. Other people didn't quite have that, but sure. still had great, at, great attitude. So I, I do think it's unfair for people to be touting that as advice, like just have great attitude or just hire for attitude. It's It's unfair to the person who comes in. Um, with this great attitude, it'll dim their great attitude too, For right? Sure. Like coming in and yes. like just feeling lost. Being like, overwhelmed. Where am I? What? Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, well, there goes that great attitude that you hired too. So I, I think that's such fantastic advice. And, and on that note, what advice do you have for brand new L and D leaders? So they're in your same shoes. Maybe they're, they're a couple of months behind you. They're just stepping into this into this new role for the first time from being an individual contributor, what is your advice for them? That's a good question. I feel like what of, so at the individual contributor level, there is this question that gets asked of everyone that just makes me so angry. And it's the, where do you see yourself in five years question, right? It is like, I just rolled my eyes, everyone, yes. just so everyone, everyone knows <laughs> Big how you can roll. see me, but yes. you all can't, but we are rolling our eyes as we speak. Continue it's, on. If I would have ever thought that I would be where I'm at now, five years ago, I would have been committed, right? <laughs> um, in multiple ways, right? Like my son will be five in five days. I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids. So like just that in and of itself, let alone professionally, right? Just that. And so I think it's a really unfair question. The other question that I think is unfair on the leadership side is what, what's your leadership style, right? Because I think it's such a, I think it doesn't allow you to really be all the things that you are as a leader when you describe it in one or two words. And so I think get out of your own head when it comes to that, like, what's your leadership style and focus on how do you best interact with each of the people that you are in charge of leading, right? Because I think that that's a much better way to approach leadership is, okay, this person needs a lot more feedback than this other person. I need to spend a lot more time with this person hands-on telling them exactly what I want them to do, because that's what they want. That's what they need. And so don't worry so much about the, okay, am I a transformational leader or a, you know, delegating leader, you know, just worry, worry about your people and care about their success and prepare them to take your job. That is literally the best managers that I've ever had have told me up front. I want you to take my job someday and you'll be fine. Speechless. I love that. I, I just was talking to a client the other day, one of my executive L and D clients and, and they had a, um, their head of, of HR, um, had said they did a really, my client had a really great presentation and, um, the head of HR was like, oh yeah, this would be great. What are you trying to do? Take my job. 
And it's so interesting, right? Of like a great leader would be like, yes. And that's why like, you're going to take my job one day. And, and so it just hearing that reminded me of that example too, of like, you know, a, what a good leader says and does. And to your point of not trying to box yourself into a certain type. It, it reminded me too, and this is a whole debate that I'm not like, we don't need to open up here, but like people talk about learning styles, right? Like I only learn one way. I learn this way. And we know that's debunked, but it doesn't mean to mean to people when they talk about it. Like yes. I have whole, whole thoughts on that too, right? Like it's, it's educating. And, um, but you know, we all learn all different ways, you know, depending on what the topic is and the time constraints. And, you know, we, we think about it that way, right? It's like, sometimes I have time to sit down and watch a two hour documentary, Sometimes I have time to listen to a 10 minute podcast. Sometimes I have time to do a Google search real quick. Right. doesn't mean I'm not, uh, you know, I have one, one style and same thing when it comes to leadership, right? Some people require more, some people require less, people require more presence. Some people want, you know, more autonomy. And I really love how, you know, it's, it's what I say too, as far as like job searching too, like stop trying to put yourself in all the other boxes and create your own box, create your own unique signature. What, you know, your leadership style can be 500,000 things, you know, you, that you bring to the table. It could be 10 things. It, it, it's, it's so unique to, to you. So I, I really love that. And I think it's just a special piece of advice to give of, you know, forge your own path, but not only for you, but for the people that, that you're supporting. So what a, a beautiful piece of advice. And I'm going to ask you one last question, which I have now been asking everyone, which is, and I want, besides your PhD, because we already talked okay. about that. Sure. What are you learning right now? Oh, this is, this feels like a trap, Sarah. No, what do you, what's something you're learning right now? It's a, a oh, that is really funny. Okay, this is not a, this is not a, this is not a trap. But it, but uh, Heidi, for those of you listening in, Heidi is holding up as you all know my most favorite book, my Bible, which is called Designing for Modern Learning by Crystal Kadakia and Lisa M. D. Owens. Yes, um, yes. not a trap. But tell me more about what you're learning right now. Yes. I would love I would love for you to educate me. So I just started the Designing for Modern Learning book, and um, actually. Lisa was so kind enough. I tried to order this book like a month and a half ago on Amazon. And I don't know if they just like didn't have it in stock or whatever, but they canceled my order without like any explanation. And I was like, what the heck? I really want to read this book. And so she was nice enough to send me a little um, signed book plate for my book when I let her know that that had happened to me. Um, But I am looking at the learning cluster design model. And I think that If you are a new instructional designer, or if you've been doing it for 50 years, um, that there are definitely lessons and things that you can learn from it. Um, You know, the subtitle is Beyond Addie and Sam. And I think one of the things that we don't do a good job of in L&D is we don't do a good job of providing our new instructional designers models that they can really work with. Because I'm sure you've heard the debate that Addy is not an instructional design model because there's not enough specific guidance. And I agree with that part of the argument, right? I don't care what you call it, but I do agree that if I'm brand new to instructional design and you place Addy before me, it doesn't give me enough to be able to make significant changes. And so this is a lot better. And I really enjoy the chapter on um, upgrading existing assets. 
because I have a tendency to want to just overhaul everything when I see it and I'm like, Ooh, this is outdated or, Ooh, this is, you know, this isn't working. I want to like, just redo the whole thing instead of like slowly, continuously improving it over time. Lots of good oh, yeah. lessons in it. I literally could sure. talk about this, this model all day, all, right? all day, every day. And, and I started out, I mean, I, you know, this, and I've talked about it too, but I started out as a fan of the book. I stumbled yeah. upon it on LinkedIn in June of last year when it first came out and you know, received one of the first Amazon copies and just fell in love with it and started just posting about it to the point where Lisa actually thought I was planted by Crystal to talk about it. Crystal's like, no, I don't know her. Um, she just keeps talking about our book. So maybe we should know her. Um, so I was like, we were just, I was talking about that with Crystal the other day and, you know, it just turned into a beautiful relationship where I read the book and just immersed myself in it and took the workshop while I was still in my full-time role. And then eventually transitioned to to doing some consulting work with, with, with her and the team and helping facilitate these, the, the public workshops too. So yeah, it's a wonderful, I mean, obviously everyone knows that I, I, I do work with them, but my love for the LCD model happened way before that when they were just two strangers to, to, to me. And it's, it's, sure. and I think you had, you had wrote about it too. I think somewhere saying of like, yeah, this it it's, I always say like, it's not a challenging framework, right? Like it's all the things we kind of, especially for those of us who are modern learners, right? These are all things that we know it's just this kind of like simplification of, and steps to put all of it together. And so I'm very happy that that's what you're learning right now. Um, and I know Crystal and Lisa will be excited uh, to, to hear that as well. So Heidi, I, oh, I mean, we, you and I could talk forever and ever, oh, and I for know sure. this is not, not the last time that we're going to be on, on each other's shows and obviously yeah. in each other's lives. Um, but where can people find you, connect with you? Because I know people just adore you in general. And if anyone is being introduced to you for the first time via the show, they're going to want to connect with you. Yes. Just find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, the LinkedIn, whatever the web address is slash Heidi E Kirby, um, connect with me. I've taken myself off of creator status because apparently in creator status on LinkedIn, it tells people to follow you. And I don't know, I'm not about that life. Connect with me. Um, and you can find my podcast, the block BLOC building, learning and organizational culture podcast on most major podcast platforms. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all of your amazing wisdom, knowledge, fun, courage, authenticity. I am so happy that you were on today and I can't wait to have you on again. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If it resonated with you in any way, please let me know by subscribing, liking, and leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools as well as what you want to hear more of. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, send me a DM, or email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.